This is Lehigh Insider. My name is Benor Ayambem, and welcome to another episode. Today, I am joined by Professor Bill Best, who is a professor of electrical and computer engineering, as well as the longest standing co-director of Lehigh's Ideas program. Ideas here um, stands for the Integrated Degree of Engineering Arts and Sciences. Um, And so Bill and I talk about all the work that he's done within that program and that degree. Also, in January of 1986, the Space Shuttle Challenger blew up 73 seconds into flight. This fatal incident killed all the crew on board and prompted Professor Bill Best's interest in ethics and specifically engineering ethics. And so we talk all about that interest and also about how it shows up in his work. We talk about his daughter, Charlotte. We talk about his wife. We talk about his family and what his family means to him. Without further ado, here's Bill Best. Very excited to be joined today by Professor William Best. You go by, you, you said, you told me Bill, right? Yes, William is what my mother called me I'm when sorry. she was upset. <laughs> <laughs> I will not be your upset mother. So Professor Bill Best is with us today. Welcome to Lehigh Insider. Well, thank you. It's a, it's a, a pleasure and a privilege. It's a asked. privilege. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, it's a privilege to have you. Because... Since our first discussion, I've been asking myself, why me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I told you why you. Mm-hmm. You you have an amazing reputation. Your students love you. They I get think, paid well. I, get, <laughs> I send out a lot of checks during the semester. <laughs> I think you'd be yeah. interesting. Even based on our first conversation, I was like, he's going to be a good guest right. to chat. You like to chat. Oh, I, I'm a talker. <laughs> Uh, I'm a talker. Yeah, my, wa- my wife from day one. That's always <laughs> 17 years ago, my wife said, boy, you're a talker. Um, yeah. So it's a beautiful day today. You're drinking Builder's Tea from London, yep. and we're going to talk about Bill Best. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. I do have to let the cat out of the bag and tell everyone that you were a professor at Lafayette. I grew up there. You grew up uh, in Lafayette. Oh, my father taught there for... 50 years before I started. Oh. I was born and raised in 1959. I was born and raised in Lafayette. Now you are very much a Lehigh Lehigh Uh, guy. Well, as I say, I... You don't feel like you betrayed your childhood community? I've crossed over from the dark side. (laughs) So you've been... uh, Your dad was a professor, you said, for 50 years in Lafayette. Lafayette. And then you were also a professor at Lafayette for a while. I taught there for 14 years. Wow. And 64 we, years between we the both over, of you. We, well, 57 because we overlapped for a while. Wow. And that, was, that was very cool. Oh, my that gosh. Was, that was very cool. I can't of, imagine. Because we shared an office. <gasps> um, and it just had best on the door? Yeah. That is so and, cool. And, the, and the, <laughs> the, the students would come in and they would say, uh, excuse me, Professor Best. And uh, you just both. Well, my father, <laughs> my father looked up and said, Professor Best the elder or <laughs> Professor Best the younger? And uh, you were the younger. I sure hope so, <laughs> um, but no, that was that was a very very special time. In my mm, life. It sounds really special being at Lafayette with my dad. Yeah, but you spent. A, I mean, even now, you your career is professor, and I know you mentioned this in our first conversation that you would say you are a good professor. I'd like to think so. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that up to other people. I mean, they uh, agree. Your students say so. I'd like to think so. Hmm. How would you measure that? What What do you think would make you a good professor? Um, what students do when they leave Lehigh, because I think that's our sole purpose. Um, and I look at, I think my, my closest contact with students is obviously through the ideas program. Yeah. 
And some of the jobs that ideas majors have gotten have been tremendous. And I'd like to think that has something to do with me and mm. something to do with our seminars and something to do with the whole focus of the program. So you would say you measure your success based on their jobs after yeah. graduation? I also, I also base it on their overall experience. And I'm very proud to say that we have never had an ideas major graduate from Lehigh and regret having done ideas. Okay. And ideas is a struggle because mm-hmm. they're starting with a blank sheet of paper. There's nothing to go on. They have a whim. They have an idea. They've got a theme. Mm-hmm. And it can be rough. They, we talk about... Uh, my office is being the, uh, the center of existential crises. Oh. And I have a lot of ideas majors that come in. I have a tea station in the corner. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're a mess. You know, they're, they're a mess. They don't know what to do. They don't yeah. know how they're going to do this. And I'll say, how about a cup of real great tea? Hot. <laughs> and uh, we sit down and we discuss. We talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but none of them, when they graduate, have ever questioned Lehigh or the ideas program. Okay, but since you're a professor, I have to ask um, about education in general. I know this is a very broad question, but what do you think about the way it is currently set up, maybe specifically education at Lehigh? I don't know, I feel like you might have a unique perspective on the education system as someone who's been involved for so long. And what do you, how do you approach, or what approach do you take to ensure that your students are getting the best out of their education? Okay, well, I can start looking for a new job after I say this. I think it is because of spending my time in Britain that has kind of narrowed it a little bit. I think we are far too focused on facts and answers as opposed to the process by which we develop those facts and answers. I'm very, as a sociologist, which is kind of the other half of my life, I'm process driven. It's the process that's important. And for instance, when I teach engineering, it's Not so much, yes, we need to get the right answer or the bridge falls down. But it's more, how do you get that right answer? What what is your thought process? How do you achieve that? Um, It's, I've been accused sometimes of teaching engineering more as a social science, but I think it works. I think this is what engineers need. They need to learn how to think. Let's talk more about engineering, because your first job was as a nuclear engineer, as I was you a said. Nucle- I was a right? pipe, pipe support, pipe stress Pipe support, analyst. pipe stress betcha. analyst. Wow. Um, what was interesting about that to you? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> it was a horrible job. It led me to... No wonder the, you were there for a year. Yeah. <laughs> it, led me, it led me to the belief that I needed to go back to graduate school. Mm. Um, Went back to graduate school and loved it and never looked back. And then while you were in graduate school, was that when you decided to become a professor? No, I decided I wanted to be a professor when I was five years old. Really? It's the only thing. I mean, I know it sounds stupid, corny. People won't believe it. (laughs) I don't believe it. It is the only job I ever wanted. My first Halloween costume. Don't. Was a cap and gown. Don't. My mother made me a cap no, and gown. No, no. And she got, the, she got the makeup pencil, and she gave me a little no. mustache. She gave me a little mustache, and she put the uh, glasses. You know, I didn't wear glasses at the time. <laughs> and I went, I went to a lot of my parents' faculty friends. And, oh, no, I was destined from, like, and also, again, corny, silly. My father was my idol. He was my hero. 
and he was a and, and he was a college professor, and it's the only thing I've ever wanted to do. You just wanted yeah. to be like him. Yep. Well, I even as early as I remember, I, I my dad loved to laugh about this. I was constantly tagging along with him, going to the office, going to his lab, um, and I think the two things that he was he was good. I mean, he. I think I'm pretty good. I have nothing compared to what my father was. My father was a giant. But he also could not wait to get to work. And there were a lot of days where my mother would say, hey, where's your father? <laughs> I'm sure he's getting a cup of coffee somewhere on campus. And he just he just loved the lifestyle. Um, and it was the only thing I ever wanted to do. Wow. At least, at least that I had a reasonable expectation that I could do it. Yeah. I mean... When we lived in England, I wanted to become a World Cup soccer star. And <laughs> when you first told me about going to London, you described it as a midlife crisis. Yeah. <laughs> why do you why do you say that? Because I love teaching engineering. But I guess I'm a real ideas person at, at heart. Mm -hmm. It wasn't enough. I mm -hmm. loved it, but there was just something that was missing. I went to the University of London to be part of their Department of Science and Technology Studies. It was I was I had the most incredible four years of my life, being abroad, being in London, but also learning an entirely new side. I mean, I wasn't with engineers, and I learned an entirely new side of intellectualism. And I think it. Uh, yeah. I think it's made me a better engineering professor. So why leave? My father took ill, and I had to come back. I had to bring him back, and I brought him back, and he died shortly thereafter, and. I was going to go back to London, and I met somebody. I was introduced to this young woman who was <laughs> incredibly smart, incredibly wonderful, and never went back. Let's, let's talk more about ethics now. Okay. okay? Um, and you have attributed January 28, 1986 as a transformative point in your life that was that sort was, of like the catalyst of your current career, I'm guessing, was, and your way of viewing the world? Yep. I was down at Virginia Tech. I was studying biomechanics. I was working on a project that was funded by NASA. I was doing that, and I had finished my master's degree, and I was kind of a post-master's, pre-PhD funded project with NASA. And I'm sitting at the Hokie House Pub with my advisor, having lunch. And his back is to me, or my back is to the TV screen. And all of a sudden, I look over, and he became white as a ghost. And he dropped the F-bomb. And uh, I said, Wally, what's going on? He said, look. And we turned around and saw Challenger blow up. Um, and it really transformed me into one who developed this interest in, mm -hmm. you know, how it happened, why it happened what went on, this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I just got myself very interested, and it kind of became a closet passion of mine. And what was that how and why? Um, well, to make a long story short, it was a, whether it was intentional or not, I think it was. <laughs> the engineers pretty much knew that if Challenger launched that day, there was a better than average chance it was going to blow up. They knew it. They went to management, but there was economic pressures, there were political pressures, there were social pressures, and so the engineers were not listened to. And what to me, I think this was the issue that really got me, 
interested in the whole ethics and professional responsibility. And it turns out, and I found this out a little bit later, that there was one constituency involved in Challenger that knew nothing about the debate over the O-rings, which is what the, what the, the problem was. And that were the pilots, the astronauts, knew nothing. They stepped foot on the flight deck that morning knowing nothing about the debate that the engineers were having with management, and with politicians and all of this. And it, we talk a lot about this. It comes out of our engineering code of ethics that our number one responsibility is the principle of free and informed consent. And that was not valued. That was not followed. And then I continued on my uh, engineering studies in bioengineering, biomechanics, and then a whole host of birth control devices that failed, medical device, heart valves that failed, that killed a lot of people. And so I got myself... And you myself, think it was ethical issues? I think there were a lot of ethical issues that played into this. Um, and I decided that what I wanted to do, and this is how I approach engineering ethics, is I'm not trying to make better people. I was accused of that once by a naysayer. Well, you know, what are you trying to do, Bill? Make them better people? And I say, no. I'm trying to make them better engineers. And they need to be confronted by these issues. Mm. And we talk about, you know, there's a lot of the questions that are seemingly unresolved. Yeah. And I think this is what, well, no, I don't think. I know this is what keeps me very, very happy and at Lehigh was I've been given the opportunity to do the best of both. And I am very, very thankful that I happened on to Lehigh at the time I did because I wouldn't want to do my ethical issues and social implications stuff. I wouldn't want to do that full time because I'd miss teaching engineering. I love teaching engineering. <laughs> I mean, it's, you put me in a mechanics classroom, you put me in a circuits classroom, I'm in heaven. But I couldn't do that either full-time. I need to have both. And Lehigh really allows and Lehigh both, both allows me to do that. It gave me the opportunity to do that. Um, through the ideas program, it gave me the opportunity to do that with incredible students. I mean, our ideas majors are just, I like to think uh, that they're the cream of the crop. Um, and uh, I am very, very blessed and very thankful that Lehigh gave me that opportunity. Yeah. Um, Lehigh has um, an ethics center that I think is doing a fabulous job. Um, I wish that, I uh, eh, probably shouldn't say this, I'd like to see the university take the, more, take the Ethics Center more seriously. I mean, they do. I mean, I know the provost is very interested in it. He's the, uh, at least I've heard and I've read. But I think ethics education is important. I think uh, being confronted with ethical issues is a part of what I think a university needs students to come out of their program with. Let's talk about ideas. <laughs> Not like we haven't already okay, done do a have lot five, of that. Do you have five hours <laughs> or six days? We'll do our best. Um, you told me that ideas already existed before you joined Lehigh. Um, but yet, it's all Bill Best, Bill Best, Bill Best. Your name is constantly brought up. Why do you think you have essentially become like the face of ideas at Lehigh, even though it was already here before you? I'm a big mouth. <laughs> I am a, an avowed supporter of ideas. I have often said that ideas is probably the second best thing 
that Lehigh has ever done in their entire career, in their entire 150 plus years of existence. First is hiring me to be the oh. co-director of it, <laughs> uh, but I'll let that up to other people to decide <laughs> that. But no, all kidding aside, um, I think it is transformative for the students and. I think I've been a big proponent of, and I've been a very vocal proponent of that on campus. Mm -hmm. um, I do the first and second year seminars, and I've done that for 15 years. And so uh, uh, I guess that's why people, th I do a lot of uh, recruiting. I do a lot of, but that's not to say that there's a lot of support on campus from a lot of people that are involved in ideas. Again, I don't necessarily like the phrase. I think it's overused, but ideas is definitely a team effort. Mm -hmm. I've had co-directors for the arts and sciences who have been just wonderful. Yeah. Um, and uh, but I guess I don't know how it happened. Um, I've just become the yeah the the, <laughs> the, the, the ideas person. Mm -hmm. But by no means is it just me. It but what have be. you brought to ideas though? I think I brought the seminar program. Okay. And that uh, that I am very very proud of is the ethics. Seminar. Well, not only the ethics, but the life of the mind, as my father used to talk about. Our seminars are very intellectual. I mean, we read great stuff. Um, but I, again, I got this from my dad, was the, the whole idea that the seminar purpose, and University of London really reinforced this, is about the life of the mind. Uh, th we don't always have ethical discussions. Um, we might have political discussions or sociological discussions. The purpose of the seminar is to encourage students through reading um, to develop their theme. Um, as instrumental as you've been to ideas, I heard a rumor that there is or was the p possibility of you being removed from the program. Did you know anything about that? No, um, I don't. I haven't heard anything. Mm -hmm. um, probably wouldn't. <laughs> uh, but no, I, you know, rumors, that's the one thing about Lehigh that I don't like. Um, I think Lehigh is a rumor mill, <laughs> and 90% of them, there's absolutely no basis. Um, no, I haven't heard anything. I'm not sure that that w mm -hmm. is in the works. Yeah. But what I will say on that is if, Either I decide or the university decides. One thing I am very proud of that I think I've helped facilitate this. Lehigh's bigger than, or Lehigh Ideas is bigger than me. Mm -hmm. It will go on. It will be the same degree that it is. It, it might be different because they won't have my take on it. But, uh, um, and the program has to be that way. I mean, it can't be one person. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I am the, the face of ideas or the voice of ideas, but I'm not ideas. There are other faculty, I mean, tons of faculty. Um, so you're not terribly attached to that idea, like, but if you had to leave or... You mean if University of London calls me tomorrow and offers <laughs> me a job? Bye-bye <laughs> ideas. Bye-bye ideas. It's been a great 15 years. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, and maybe 10 years ago, I would have thought differently about it. Because we were still building ideas. Um, but I love it. Don't get me wrong. I hope to be with ideas for many, many more years. But if it comes to the decision that go in a different direction, get new blood, I'm, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Solely because, and this is my arrogance, 
Um, I've done it. I've gotten Lehigh ideas where I want it to be. And I think it is self-sustaining. I think it is sustaining. You know, we have discussions about that all the time. Um, and if I wasn't there, the process is there. Yeah. That it's self-sustaining. So what do you think about plans to expand ideas? I know we talked about this already. Um, I think it is, it's a double-edged sword as far as I'm concerned. I think it's a great idea because we have so many applicants. I mean, we have so many people that want, and I mean, our first year class this year, we upped it from 30 to 45. I think the average SAT was 1490. I mean, for ideas, for ideas, we're getting, I mean, these kids are just the cream of the crop, but we also turn down a lot of kids that have 14, 1450 SATs because we can only take 45. So, in that regard, um, I think expansion of ideas is, is important. My worry is the loss of collegiality, that it gets too big, and it, it can be done. I mean, you could still have seminars and things of this nature, but I think the tight-knit collegiality might be lost. Is that a bad thing? I don't know. It's mm-hmm. not a Bill Best thing, um, and so... I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I, I I do not, I should probably preface this by saying, not that it matters at all what I think, but uh, I applaud the president and the provost for wanting to expand. Uh, because, again, my ego, um, I think we're one of the best programs on campus. I think what the quality of student we turn out, the quality of the program, I think we've done a fabulous, I think Lehigh's done a fabulous job. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's. Let's leave Lehigh and ideas for a second. Okay. I want us to get a little more personal. Okay. You betcha. So, um, as I'm not real deep. (laughs) We can start. We can start with that. Bill's not the deepest human being on the planet, but uh, we'll do our best. Okay. (laughs) So you have mentioned to me that you are the last remaining member of your family, your brother. But you've been saying brothers plural. You I told me two. you have Yeah, you one one passed away in two thousand and four. Okay. And then wow. in January twenty twenty two I lost my other brother. So was it the old the eldest one two thousand four yeah. or yeah. this year? No, Tim, the middle one. The middle one died in two thousand and four. Okay. The eldest just died this year. Okay. So And my parents have been gone for a long time. Mm-hmm. That as well. So can I ask you about your experience with grief and how your views of life and death have changed throughout your life going through all these passings in the family? Um, again, I'm not so sure I've really thought about it that much. Really? I have come to a conclusion after been through this, and again, people disagree with me. Um, I think grief is a very lonely concept. I think you grieve alone. You know, people said, well, you know, maybe why don't you go, you know, to what do you call these things, groups of people that are sharing. I don't think anybody grieves the same way because I don't think anybody arrives at that point the same way. And I tend to be a bit of a loner personally. Um, But I think grief is a very private issue, or at least for me. I don't want, for one thing, I don't want people to know. I was very, I'll be honest. um, I was very embarrassed when my wife saw me cry when my brother died. I was very embarrassed. I just didn't want... You know, that's me. That's my own cross to bear. Um, And I just, uh, 
I didn't want anybody to see that. Um, don't know why. I mean, I haven't really put my, you know, put a finger on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's also interesting because I was raised very strictly Roman Catholic. I mean, and, and that has, they have a different view of grief? of grief and death and life and all of this kind of stuff. Um, and uh, I know in terms of religion in general, um, as I said, I'm not particularly religious, yeah. I think. Um, I know I have discussions with, again, my mother, who was very, very strictly Roman Catholic, always made the statement that, uh, well, Bill, you know, um, God has a plan for us all. And I've always kind of struggled with that, with that idea. Um, struggled with the idea of, and again, I'm not so sure. Um, you know, somebody told me, and I, I kind of, I didn't follow up with it other, other than to myself. But somebody said when my brother passed away, and they were trying to be nice. I understand this. They were trying to be supportive. And they said, but Bill, you have to remember, Charlie's in a better place. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it's a better place. I do know that I don't want to find out anytime soon because <laughs> I do know it's a one-way street. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you go there and ain't no coming back. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to think if I, or when I pass away, I'll get to see my, my parents again, my brothers again. I'd like to think that. But I don't know. I want us to talk a bit about Charlotte because I feel like that's inevitably... Something that if there is one thing on God's <laughs> green earth that is more to me than Charlotte than uh, ideas, it's it's both of them. It's mm-hmm. Krista and Charlotte, but yes, mm-hmm. Charlotte. Uh, yes, I mean, there's just no way we're gonna avoid. You've already brought her up many times without even me even asking a question. Yeah, so <laughs> let me let me do you the favor to get it out. <laughs> um, so I'll keep it very broad because I feel like you you will have enough to say. But tell me something you've learned from Charlotte. I've learned what it's like to be a father, being a father to her. Um, because bests don't do girls. My mother, <laughs> I have brothers. Uh-huh. My mother has brothers. My father had brothers. So and you have a daughter. When we went to the four month ultrasound, when Krista was pregnant with Charlotte, the, did the test, the doctor came out and said, Do you want to know what the sex of the child is? And I looked at the doctor and said, sir, all I care about at this point is you tell me that I have a healthy child. And he looked at me and he said, Professor Best, your daughter is very healthy. I didn't speak for four days. (laughs) And I'm a talker. (laughs) I didn't know what to do. I'm having a girl. What the hell do I know about girls? I married one, but other than that. And I didn't know. And... The funny thing is, though, a couple years ago, we were talking about this, and Charlotte said, Daddy, do you ever regret having a daughter? I said, absolutely not. And she said, well, would you have rather had a son? And I said, looking at you, absolutely not. Now if I went back and I did have my choice, I'd want you. Um, And she's taught me a lot about that. Um, But she's just... She's the most wonderful thing on the planet. I mean, even in all her, as my mother would say, warts and all. Uh, <laughs> she, uh, she's a tremendous child. And did, you so, ever, did you ever think about having more kids? The big issue why I think we don't have any other children, although we talked about it, was Charlotte did a number on mama during delivery. 
Um, Mama needed, I don't know, four or five transfusions. She lost a whole lot of her blood volume and needed emergency surgery shortly thereafter. Well, instantaneously. Um, after Charlotte was born, they wheeled Krista into the operating room. And uh, at the time, things didn't look good. And it was the strangest feeling in my life because I'm standing at St. Luke's. 20 paces to my left is my incredibly healthy, charming, wonderful daughter. Mm -hmm. To my right is my wife in intensive care surgery. Yeah. And it was just, I mean, what am I going to do? I mean, I didn't get into this to be a single dad. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, and the doctor thought that maybe you shouldn't. I mean, Krista was 38 when Charlotte was born. Um, okay, well, to, to keep it balanced, we'll talk a little bit about Krista. But you have already said Oh, well, she'll, be, she'll be embarrassed because <laughs> we're going to talk about her anyway. Um, but you have, you have set her up pretty nicely as this incredible, smart artist, oh. right? Oh, she's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't planning on getting married. I, I'm not sure I wanted to get married because I was having such a great time and I didn't want to take the chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and my friend took me to the Apollo grill. He was in commercial real estate at the time. And I walk in and there's a woman sitting at the end of the bar and I will never forget this. It was during the presidential campaign. Um, and she's, Finger wagging some guy who was a George Bush supporter. Mm. And I heard, you need to vote for John Kerry. He's a good man. And, all that <laughs> stuff. and I looked over at my friend and I said, who the hell is that? And he said, oh, that's my friend Krista. I said, wow. And uh, this was in July. I was supposed to go back to London. I did just to close things up. and Came back. And uh, in October, I finally worked up the courage to call her and ask her. I have often been asked by members of her family. Um, I remember her dad asked me. I think this was on our fifth or tenth wedding anniversary. You know, he said uh, the standard question, you know, why did you marry my daughter, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And after five years, after ten years, and I think about it even more so, and I use this as a great example in, in some of my classes with, dealing with robots and, and things of this nature, I said, uh, well, she was gorgeous. I mean, she was incredibly smart. We shared the same value system. We liked to travel. But I said, the bottom line reason why I married my wife, I don't have the faintest idea why I married my wife. I just didn't want to be without her. I, I just didn't. There was just something, there's something there. You know, more of more of an essence than something that you. I mean, yeah, she filled all the boxes, okay. But in the end, the boxes they don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. And I often say, and this embarrasses my wife. Um, we joke around about it. I hope I go first. You know, we've had some con- just joking conversations, but I hope I go first because I think she will do far better without me than I will without her. And I get that from my dad. Again, I didn't have to get married. I didn't even want to get married. I met her. Boom. And that was that. Oh, my gosh. Professor Beth. (laughs) You've given me so much. I think I told you, though, when we first met that I'm not really a closed book. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm really not. Um, I know that can be embarrassing to my family. Uh, But anyways, thank you so much. My pleasure. 
Is there anything else you want to say to your students, our listeners, etc., Lehigh? No, I am just a blessed man that uh, <laughs> people tolerate me. <laughs> and they appreciate you, too. I'm not so sure. But I, I was, I'm telling you. But I know, I know my family. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, um, and your students. They tolerate me. Yeah, we, we have a kind of a running joke that, uh, okay, Beth's on a roll. Let Bill be Bill. <laughs> and I you know, go on my soapbox, melodramatic, theatrical tirade. <laughs> they let me do it. Um, and so, but anyway. Well, thank you for coming Oh, it was my show, pleasure. And thank you for, thank you for, for being Bill. <laughs> okay. And to our listeners, you will hear from me again in two weeks. This has been Lehigh Insider. Goodbye. <laughs> and thank Bye. you for listening. <laughs> Lehigh Insider will be back to you in two weeks. Catch us every other Friday on the Brown and White Spotify. Lehigh Insider is created by Benor Ayambim and produced by the Brown and White with music produced by DJ Zen. Find Lehigh Insider on Instagram for bonus exclusive content at Lehigh Insider. And while you're there, follow the Brown and White at L.U. Brown White on Instagram. You can also visit our website at www.thebrownandwhite slash Lehigh Insider. This has been Benor Ayambem, and I will see you again in two weeks. Bye-bye.